0: This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast.
1: This is why it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And welcome to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio. And of course, it is time. It is time once again. That time is upon us to start looking at this year's annual summer seminar series. This is one of those series that I'm extremely excited about each and every year as we begin to kind of do our own professional development, as we begin to look at different aspects of the game of football and sport in general to help us get a little closer, dare I say, a little bit more understanding about what we're seeing on those Fridays and Saturday nights as we watch those plays on the gridiron And this year's Summer Seminar Series, we are focusing on the player problem solver paradigm. In other words, we're looking this year at the nature, the very nature and essence of the problems that players face on the field and to kick this exciting series off that is really just jam packed with outstanding presenters is somebody that i i i can't tell you the amount of influence that this uh gentleman has really had on me through his work he has written many 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 co-authored many of the papers that i have read and digested with absolute fervor intensity and delight, and on, it would be on those topics of ecological dynamics, I am absolutely excited to welcome human movement scientist and motor learning and motor control scientist, Dominic Orth. Dominic, welcome from all across the way in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast.
0: Hi, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm very excited for your uh, your podcast, this well. So, um, and I've seen some some of the work that you do as well, and it's very interesting, and I think very uh, well communicated. So um, I'm excited for you for you as well, mate.
1: So well, well, I mean Dominic, I think this is such a treat for listeners, and I, I again I cannot overstate how profound and influential Dominic's work has been. I mean, when you start typing into those research catalogs and you're looking up ecological dynamics, and you're talking about those ideas behind what it is. Uh, for that to be applied to sport, you will undoubtedly come across many papers where Dominic is an author of them. And Dominic, I want to begin right there. First of all, a little bit about, you know, as we begin to unpack this series of the nature of the problems that players face on the field, I want to just talk about your role as a human movement scientist and your role in motor learning and motor control. Can you give a synopsis, at least to our listeners, of what that is? And then we'll dig a little bit more deeply into, you know, how we need to begin to understand the nature of problems that we face in sport.
0: Okay, sure. Uh, Perhaps a good way to do it would be to talk a bit about uh, my background and where I've come from academically. um, And I I suppose why I got interested in, in this area. Uh, so, um, well, I'm currently a, a lecturer in motor learning and uh, control at Swinburne University uh, of Technology in, in Melbourne. And um, I started my uh, my research career uh, doing a masters at QUT in, in Queensland. That was with um, Keith David's and Ian Renshaw. If you if you know those guys, um, and they had a, a big influence on my thinking uh, back then. And um, was able to do some research with them. Uh, I then went to uh, went to France and did a PhD with uh, Professor Ludovic Seifer. So he does a lot of research in climbing as well. Um, and then did a postdoc. Uh, so after after the PhD, I did it went to Amsterdam to, to the Free University of Amsterdam and did a postdoc um, with John Vanderkamp. So he's um, and, and he at Savelberg. So they. So here, he um, he's uh, he does a lot of work on talent development, and John, um, in ecological psychology. So there's that's sort of my 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 background in terms of the people that I've worked with.
1: I mean, I just um, want listeners to understand. I don't mean to interrupt you, Dominic, but I want listeners to yeah. understand. He he almost named a who's who when it comes to the field of you know ecological dynamics in this field of studying sport in this way. The, I mean, Dominic, you were studying. Um, under and alongside, and working with some very profound individuals, and that's not a that's not. A, it's hard to be humble when I say that because it is true. You definitely were amongst those on the uh, razor edge of this type of discussion. Is that it was? Is that fair, or am I over embellishing it?
0: Uh, uh, so I, I guess the reason I I don't mean to uh, don't want to sound like I'm name dropping or anything like that, but I, I suppose um, you gave me a lot of praise and. Um actually, you know any praise that I deserve would come from the people that I've, I've you know I've had the chance to work with, so um I've really learned a lot from from all of those those individuals and yeah, I, I would say that um they've they've had a big impact, I think, on the way we think about learning and the way we might structure uh, learning uh, situations and and the way we think about what skill acquisition is and, and that sort of thing so. Yeah, I I think those, they're they're all just uh, great, uh, great researchers, but they've been great colleagues and um, I'm always excited to read their work as well. So
1: So then as we get to how you got to where you are now and what you're currently involved in, what are you doing right now um, in your current position?
0: Uh, So, yeah, so um, I've been here at Swindon for about six months, Um, I've taken a lecturing position so what that entails is it's a combination of, um, I, I suppose, in the, the, the U.S. it's a, um, a sort of uh, um, you must have uh, lecturers, uh, university lecturers as well. They, they might be called uh, tenured positions or something like that. Um, so basically uh, my day-to-day is, um, revolves around uh, pushing forward research programs, and um, uh, supervising various students that, that I work with, um, interacting with colleagues, writing papers, and, and of course preparing teaching um, material for students uh, in in mode learning and control. So
1: yeah, that's so. So I mean, as a teacher, because I mean that is a part of fundamentally what you do each day. Which is, I think, why you're so um, we're so incredibly excited to have you on the show. Is this idea of unpacking the nature that is the problem that that athletes face in sport. I mean, we hear words like ecological dynamics tossed around, and you know, to, if they haven't read papers or they're not well versed in the literature, um, or maybe there's listeners out here that are suddenly hearing these things for the first time and being introduced. I know it's difficult to encapsulate or or synthesize in a in a simple um, idea or you know uh, you know diatribe of some sort. But can you do your best to explain to us maybe what it is? we perceive to be the problems that athletes face on the field and maybe things that we haven't considered on the field of play, what types of problems do athletes face from your perspective and from the research that you've conducted or been exposed to?
0: Um, Well, I I guess a good way to to frame it is um, in terms of uh, how I think about these sorts of questions Um, and and what uh, let's say ecological dynamics is, uh, it's it's basically I suppose a framework for how we understand um, athletic performance or or what we see on the field, what athletes have to do, um, and there are different frameworks. So uh, there are different ways of approaching um, the sorts of how we might try to answer questions that we get we get faced with, um, and the way we the frameworks that we use I, I think ultimately influence the way we. Uh, go about solving those questions or solving those problems and uh, You'll see that manifest itself uh, uh, Perhaps for example for, for, for a coach um, they have a certain framework you'll see it manifest itself in how they structure practice and the situations that they have athletes practice under so uh, The ecological dynamics is a framework that has a, a, a series of assumptions I suppose and, and they will influence how i ask questions and the the ways i find solutions to those questions and ultimately uh, for example if i I was coaching they would influence how i structure practice because uh, yeah Uh, so yeah so i I think to go on um as a a basic way of thinking about ecological dynamics um, it's a framework that's more based on um looking at the athlete uh, environment relationship is the starting point for understanding performance and uh, having a perspective that that uh, the performance is something that is uh, very difficult to predict in advance so there's a lot of different factors that are that are occurring and emerging during performance um, and the idea that you 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 will know what the athlete will need to face completely in advance is, is actually not possible and uh, so the way you structure practice, so that when when athletes go to to perform, uh, should be heavily influenced by by that uh, starting point.
1: Yeah. So uh, just to unpack that, maybe a little bit more. We're not necessarily contesting. We're not necessarily, um, I guess, inviting this idea that it's absolute and utter, you know, an utter chaos to the point of there are no. Uh, you know, there's no framework, there's no frame to the way in which the athlete is behaving. There's no channels, no barriers. It's more, we're not inviting this idea that it's absolute chaos, like on any level. I mean, we know that there are things that constrain the athlete. What are some of those things that do in fact constrain the athlete or in other words, shape their behavior? Where does ecological dynamics and those types of principles sit in terms of what shapes the behavior of the athlete on the field, because it's just not utter chaos. Is, am I, mm-hmm. am I correct in saying that?
0: Yeah. And, and I think that term is, is, um, is a good one. Uh, the, the use of the term constraint and, um, and, and constraints makes a big part of, uh, it's a, a big part of ecological dynamics. The idea that you have these uh, boundary factors uh, that, that interact in some way uh, that shape what, of, you know what information is available to the athlete to uh, to use to guide their their performance. Um, so typically, it's it's just, it comes from Carl Newell's work as a starting point. Um, the idea that you have uh, typically it's it's described as a triangle, and you've got uh, you know, task constraints, uh, environmental constraints, and and individual factors, and these these interact, um, which means that. Uh, they, they're, they're present in combination and their, their presence in combination has a big impact on, on what's available to, 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 to perceive and act on. Um, and uh, I think uh, the, the idea that it's not all chaos is, is very important. So um, let's take any, any sport or context of performance. Uh, there's, there's plenty of constraints which um, are always going to be there um, in, during performance. And so that that's already going to uh, reduce the the uncertainty, I suppose, or, or the chaos. Um, and but 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 the same at the same time, the idea that those constraints are there and they change, and there's some degree of uncertainty that that's part of that. It, it means that um, you also want to represent the the variation of constraints uh, that. Uh, that will occur during performance. So um, that, so, um, so that you can actually learn how to deal with that.
1: And, and now when we bring in this idea, as we graduate from this notion of constraints to the, the idea of the athlete um, perceiving and acting um, it, 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 they're very much related, of course, but they are, they are kind of different conceptual ideas that are very much intertwined in this model in terms of per- perceiving what's available the information that's available can can you take listeners maybe a little inside of this concept of information and what we're what we're trying to talk about when we describe the information available you know to be perceived what are, what are we alluding to and and what should we be aware of maybe whether we're constructing, you know, whether as is we're constructing um, environments for our practices um, or we're observing, you know, high level athlete on the field of play, you know, what, what do we mean by information that is a, that is available? Can you take us Mm -hmm. a little inside of that?
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, and again, great, uh, great point to pick up on that. Um, So the idea of the way we think about information Um, and and these concepts like perception and action um, and in in ecological dynamics is is largely informed by this this framework called ecological psychology. And the the idea here is that information is uh, something that's available to be uh, picked up and then perceived um, in terms of opportunities for action, uh, which which are referred to as affordances. So... um, The idea is that as the the athlete moves, uh, the actions uh, uh, will lead to uh, information that can be picked up and perceived um, directly to be able to uh, support performance. And it's uh, so in in terms of learning design, it means that um, when you, uh, uh, let's say, use constraints to to, uh, build an environment, you, in a lot of ways, what you're doing is you're designing um, opportunities for action. So you're designing affordances into that into that uh, space. And so it, you end up, I suppose, with um, various opportunities for action, which may or may not be um, used by the athlete.
1: Well, no, and I think that's fantastic because I do think that in my own practice – prior to a couple of years ago, as I was continue really to still be on this journey in terms of my own understanding of human learning, you know, I was very much um, asymmetrical in terms of my understanding of really where the locus of control existed in terms of me interacting with the environment. I I tended to, to see it as something that was within my control completely. And ecological dynamics would say, no, you're a part of the equation. Is is that fair?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think that's a good way to to put it, Matt. So um, uh, the way I tend to think about it is, it's control is somehow it's distributed um, across the individual and and their environment, and it's about finding the appropriate relationship between yourself and and your environment to, and, and and that relationship is is understood in terms of affordances. So, uh, when we the, the the term affordance, I suppose it, um, that it was coined to be able to capture something which depends on both the individual and and the environment um, together. So you can't actually somehow separate the two out to have an affordance. You can't have an affordance without without them both being being present.
1: So like so the, so in terms of affordances and I know this terminology may be a little bit foreign for some of our listeners but again just to keep everybody you know in terms of the discussion when we're talking about affordances we're talking about these opportunities and these invitations for action and <clears throat> and and Dominic this is something where I wonder in terms of how um I know there there are certainly critics out there and and people that have different belief systems and you know, certain um, critics might say, "Well, you're you're not really you're you're overemphasizing the environment, or you're um, not really giving the individual enough credit." But yet, you would contest that we're we're really looking at affordances, which is that overlap between the two, where both are existing in that moment in time, in terms of shaping the behavior that's coming or be, that that's occurring on the field of plays. Is that a fair? Is that a fair way to answer that kind of critique of we're too environmentally centric?
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. So I I suppose um, you can always go too far either either way, and um, if you do that, there'll there'll probably be pushback. Um, So, uh, but I I would assume that um, the idea that you can uh, an athlete. Can be skilled or skillful without their performance environment. I think most people could could agree with that. Right. Um, so uh, that that that's how I would tend to respond to somebody who 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 wants to be very focused on the individual uh, without without allowing without reference to to the environments that they uh, actually have to be able to learn to to be able to perform in. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so yeah.
1: So. As we begin to kind of, so we have this general idea of, you know, the framework or basic understanding of ecological dynamics. And and I, I would like to take this more now towards this idea of, you know, what does skilled movement or expertise or mastery look like in terms of this particular framework? Because if, you know, my argument is the nature of the problems that players face on the field is well represented using a framework like ecological dynamics as opposed to to let's say something that's more organismic centric like these are traits or biological conditions that they just seem to possess that they're able to do such things i argue that you know ecological dynamics has a better framework for understanding skillful movement but my question and really the things that i i continue to keep asking myself and meditate on is what does it mean to look at an expert performer or mover what is what does that mean in terms of this framework what do what does expertise and mastery and skill really look like or how can we describe it to the best of our ability
0: i think um so you you referred to at the the beginning this idea of an athlete as problem solver framework yes so i i think that captures a quite nicely in, in the idea that uh, skilled or skilled behaviour or uh, what it means to be an, an expert is your ability to, to solve problems as, as they emerge appropriately. And um, so we would tend to refer to skill as, as reflecting adaptability. We, we might use phrases, terms like that. So it, I think a, a, a skilled athlete is able to to manage and, and adapt to the, the changes that, that are inevitably going to be occurring in their, their performance context. So um, again, I suppose we can take any, any sort of sport um, as an example. Um, the way that it was practiced and the na- nature of the, the, the athletes and the nature of the rules, the nature of the environments that, that they perform in it at, one, at one moment, um, as seasons progress or as, as, as you look at it over different timescales, you'll see that those constraints, they, they tend to change over time. And uh, it, 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 it short time scales, at short timescales, at long timescales, and it's skilled athletes that are able to, to adapt to that change, um, whether it be, you know, during performance, um, very short time scale. Uh, or you know over competition series seasons they're able to 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 manage that and, and adapt to it and it's the ones who, who don't um, i suppose that um the that, that, that struggle and uh, i i suppose we, we we wouldn't put them at that point of mastery um,
1: and it, and and where does one's you know, biology or their own physiology fit within this equation? Because that seems to be, you know, I I mean, I have, I have a hypothesis of my own for sure where it fits, but, but I'm just, I would like to know from you because I mean, this has been, you know, your passion for way longer than I've even known about it. And I would like to know, you know, people will say, but, but, you know, we have to look for these, these physical specimens of, of human beings in order to, to really say, those are the guys we should take because those are the guys that are running faster, they're stronger, they're bigger. Those are the players we should be investing in. Um, Where where I'm making an argument, well, I'm making the argument that really we should be looking at how they're solving problems, as opposed to, you know, just these physical traits. I mean, so where does that physiology fit within that? They might say to me, where does it fit in your framework? How would you answer that in terms of, ecological dynamics where does that physiology bigger stronger faster where does that really fit in terms of this framework
0: um well i I suppose um as as a starting point um certainly uh physical capabilities the individual constraints uh, they're very important and um uh certainly need you need to be for for various sports you need to be uh, adapted to to that sport so if being adapted to that sport means you, you need to be, to some extent, strong, fast, um, flexible, uh, what have you, um, so a lot of a lot of research uh, that I did during my PhD was on climbers, and um, it, it, undoubtedly, to be a, a very good climber, you have to be very very strong, uh, able to produce forces at, at your fingertips. Um, so if you haven't adapted uh, those that capability. Through, through training and uh, then you, you're going to have a lot of problems performing at at a, at a high level um, but of course it's just not it's not the whole story so uh, it's what you're able to how you're able to use your your capabilities to um, uh, let's say find opportunities to beat your opponents or to, to, to get up that rock climbing wall that, that also make a very big big difference and um, you, you uh, I suppose a one way to think about it is, uh, I would never, never try to distinguish which rock climber is the best based on how strong their fingertips are. Right. It's 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 their ability to get to the end of the route that that is is, is going to determine who, who's best. And, and that that process of getting to to the end of the route is what's what I'm going to look for look at to try to understand why why someone's better than somebody else.
1: So yeah. can can you take us maybe inside because I think this is a wonderful kind of canvas to talk about some of these ideas because rock climbing is certainly something that although I'm not intimately familiar with my I think my lack of intimacy in terms of familiarity gives it a nice canvas in terms of presenting some of these ideas about how there's differences between expert and novice movers in terms of the way they process you know, these different problems, what types of, what types of things did you notice in your research about various skill levels that really, I think in many ways might parallel some of the things we might see on the field of play, whether it be in football or soccer, what types of things did you see or notice? What types of uh, things did you see from each of these types of performers?
0: Well, I think, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, uh Rock climbing is a, a nice example of this, I think. Um, so uh, let's say you, you observe a beginner and an expert on a, um, a a fairly easy route. So let's say it's a route that's uh, this is quite challenging, actually, so like uh, to, to, to do research in climbing in the sense that the, the route is the relative difficulty of the route. So for a beginner, if you have a, an, an easy route for a beginner, actually, it's quite hard for them. And, um, and then for an expert, it's, it's very easy. and But uh, let, let's say we observe an expert and a novice on, on the same um, easy route. Um, a beginner, they're going to do things um, because of their own individual constraints that their behaviour will will manifest in a certain way. And it, and the way I like to think about it is, um, well, to give an example, beginners will they'll tend to climb and uh, if they get stuck and they can't find a way to progress through the root, uh, often they'll start to explore. So they'll, they'll reach and they'll touch holds and they'll withdraw their hands. They'll try a different, different hand. They might adjust how they try to grip, grip the hold. And um, this means that they're exploring different, different ways of getting through the root, and th- th- this is a good sign that they're trying to – that they're, they're, they might be learning something whereas experts they, they won't need to even explore because they 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 have worked it out already they can see how to, to use the holds um and uh, so so that, that that's one that's one point and the other is that so for beginners if they're if they're on the wall and they and they're stuck and they're exploring often they will will go into these positions where they're very stable so um, and it means that their, their intentions will be to be stable and to to maintain their position on the wall. Um, so, uh, so that that's just an example of how um, uh, the individual skill levels will will modify what they're trying to what they're actually intending to try to do uh, while they're climbing. So experts they they don't really care about um, their their, their stability on the wall, their ability to stay on the wall because um, they know they can. So they'll be able to focus their intentions on just getting through the route. And and the the, the way they they use the route or their the, the body position on the wall will, will sort of manifest itself in, in that way. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's fascinating because I think about American football and I think about um, running plays with running backs and, and I know you know they're very much coached um, to start on initial track you know behind the line of scrimmage in order to um, set up blocks for their particular teammates, and they do so not only to set up blocks but also in some ways to manipulate. Defenders on the other side of the field in terms of what they think their intention is going to be. So there is this idea of using that initial track, the way they run that particular route, maybe differently, depending upon their skill level, while some may really commit to the track by going an extra step or lowering their body or accelerating a little faster. Others may stay, uh, others may maintain their tempo consistently and they don't really adapt to those situations in those moments um, the same as other players do. So I I guess my question is, you, you kind of touched on it, intention and attention is something that frequently comes up you know, in the literature with regards to this framework and what it means to have skillful movement, my my question to you is: What is intention and attention? What is that that dance that we keep hearing about in the literature? Um. So
0: I, I suppose attention to start with attention. Uh, this this is the the things that we're focused focused on. Um, it's uh, I suppose, for example, the things that you're looking at. Um, the things that you're you're trying to um, the information you're trying to pick up on, let, let's say. Um, and I, I, whereas a, a intention, I, I think um, one way to think about it might be that the goals and your your overarching objectives that you're, you're trying to achieve. Um, so that that that's how I I tend to think about it. Um, yeah, and, and there I think there are different ways of uh, thinking about about intention and Um, uh, There are different uh, terms that you'll hear thrown around. Um, And the way I like to think about it uh, these days is the idea that um, intentions are are somehow nested. So I talked about um, before this rock climbing situation where um, a beginner they they will focus their attention on holds that support stability. So um, holds which have really big, deep, um, uh, that, that, that have a big, large edge, um, they'll focus their attention on those big, large edges because their intention is to stay on the wall. Uh, their goal is to maintain um, contact with the wall. Whereas experts, their attention will be towards holes and edges that allow them to progress because their intention is to get, get to the end of the route. And nested within that intention, which they don't even need to worry about, is of course also to be stable and on the on on the wall so yeah that's that that that's how I tend to to differentiate.
1: I, I think that's fascinating and it makes me wonder and makes me kind of gravitate towards a conversation. That we were having, you know, via dialogue, you know, over um, text about this idea of talking about players' intentions in terms of not only what they're intending to do, but thinking about their intention relative to their team's objectives and to what the objective. Because now I'm, I want to take this now from the individual and look maybe a little bit more at team sports, and if we can, does does really ecological dynamics hold up in a team sport equally as it does in terms of understanding an individual? Is, is that fair? Does it still kind of maintain? I think it does. I mean, at least I hope it does because that's, that's what I've been working under. Um, but I, but it, but it, but it does in many ways. I, is that fair to say?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, well, I, I, so when I did my masters, um, I, I did it in, in soccer, for example. Um, and, uh, in, in Amsterdam I worked in um, um, I used a combat sport paradigm um, so uh, yeah of, of course um, they also um, it's a framework which of course um, would see other other players as, as also a, a key constraint and um, there's of course no, no reason why you wouldn't be able to deal with team sports in this framework Um and I, I, I guess uh, I, um, I don't know. I, I suppose I could describe a little bit of my master's work as as, as an example. Please, um,
1: please do, please do, because I'd be interested into where you went in terms of team sport and beginning to reconcile this paradigm within that that type of framework and that type of environment.
0: Yeah. So I think a, a good starting point um, would be, and, and this is this is one of the reasons why. I don't think you you can only focus on the individual. Um, so, if you take take NRL, uh, take um, American football, or, or, or soccer, or, or combat sports, um, these these athletes can't can't actually express their skill unless they have opponents, um, and uh, and 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 that context of, of competition. So. Um, and and the, the, the work in soccer that I that that I did was um, I looked at uh, part you you would have heard this idea of representative design so um, which is about okay so the constraints that we represent during training um, how do they allow us to um, how do they support us in um, so so in experiencing those constraints during during practice how does that uh, support us in taking those experiences um, and being able to perform and learn successfully in some different context of interest. So, like, from, from training and practice to, to your competition day or to going to a training camp or something like that. Um, so uh, the, the master's work, for example, that I did was I just looked at a, situ- a scenario in soccer where you, you run up and you pass the ball back to a, to a teammate and they're going to try to head the ball into the, the goal. Um, I looked at someone running up and crossing a ball back either um, by themselves or with a defender trying to chase them down. And I looked at um, the impact on how they regulated their gait uh, during that, that process of running up and kicking the ball. And, of course, of course it changes. Well, it, I suppose. Um, yeah, well, it, it, of course, it changed. Um, so... Um, what tended to happen was uh, the closer that a defender was um, to the to the person running up and kicking the ball, the more they would emphasise making sure that they ran really fast early on so that they were sure that they were going to get to the ball before the defender, before they started preparing for the for the kick. So it really influenced um, their acceleration and their deceleration to, to, to the ball. So it, um, in my mind, it really shaped their intentions, um, you know, and in, in that way also their attention to different uh, sorts of information that they use to to successfully perform the task. So, yeah. yeah.
1: No, and I, I think that's fantastic because I think it encapsulates what it means to understand your opponent you know, on the field of play and understanding their capabilities, their capacities, their tendencies, what they do, and that doesn't mean necessarily, and this is where I think the gray area and sometimes the point of confusion is, for for myself early on, and I'm sure for some of our listeners that are experimenting with this, you know, kind of problem solver approach, is, is it to say that every movement is planned? Is that to say that we're planning every movement, Dominic? Are we planning every movement if we understand the opponent? It, does that mean we're always planning every movement ahead of time, like a script? Or does it mean what what does it mean to understand your like opponent or prepare for your opponent? Where is where is that kind of where does that kind of information sit within this framework in terms of how it may shape or influence behavior on the field? Because that's something that I always, I'm always struggling with, like, you know, like that preparation for that match or that preparation for that opponent, you know, is, is that me, you know, uh, you know, is that me recollecting, you know, what I perceive, you know, what I understood to be the best way to approach this defender. Um, or, or by the very nature of the beast that is the interaction itself. Am I always adapting, no matter what? I mean, where does so? I, I guess that's that's always what I'm. I'm kind of reconciling, like, what does preparation and plays, like you know, calling a play in soccer and calling a play in football and calling a play in basketball. Surely these are you know pre-planned attack patterns of sorts, but yet they. Don't ever work. They don't ever work necessarily, you know, quite like we plan them. But yet, many coaches will subscribe to the fact that, well, I drew up the play right, the players didn't execute. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I think as a, as a starting point, um, I think you can always plan to some extent. I think planning uh, has an important um, is is an important constraint, um, and I think it's it's worthwhile having some sort of plan and being creative about the sort of plans that, that you might try to come up with um, because um, I don't see why they couldn't um, uh, perhaps give you some sort of advantage or, or support your performance. Um, but I think uh, next to that, that I, I part of your plans and the way that you try to train in executing them would be to understand that your opponents are also under some sort of constraint, which is that they, they can sort of, Adapt to you and and what you're doing, and um, they they may not behave in such a way that you that you planned. So you, you can't necessarily you can't plan what what your opponents will do, and you can't plan all the different small interactions that, that emerge on the field of play, uh, for for whatever reason that, that that those interactions happen the way they do. You you can't control that. Um, so. If, if you do want to try to let's say practice plans um, they should be under constraints which are representative of the context to some extent that that you'll be performing them under which is there's there's the opportunity for uh, lots of different things to happen and um, and it's not yet and, and so that should be uh, allowed for in your in your training process so otherwise that plan won't be adaptive it won't be adaptable
1: um, well, I, and just, I think that's, just busted, yeah. no, and I think that's fantastic because I do think that, you know, I, I had read somewhere um, that the best way to, to understand, a you know, a play call or, or even a, um, a you know, a, an X's and O's type drawing of maybe what a corner kick might look like in soccer um, is that they're, you know, we're trying to summarize to the best of our knowledge, you know, all the different outcomes or probabilities of interactions that might occur, and that's kind of what we're trying to talk to our athletes about maybe in the film room you know when we're trying to create these two dimensional diagrams of these three dimensional problems you know we're trying to in some way just summarize to the best of our you know capacity you know here are, here are the situations we could be in and here are some ideal you know um these are some ideal uh, behaviors that could be advantageous to us. But that's not to say necessarily that this is the prescription, but rather these are a framework for you to kind of understand as we go into this upcoming match. Is, is that a fair way of of kind of maybe understanding, quote unquote, you know, a a, a play call in a sport, whether it be a corner kick in soccer or um, a play in basketball or even, um, or even when these climbers are predicting their routes, you know, they're, they're, they obviously have knowledge about the route that they're about to climb and they do have the ability to see it and maybe plan out what they're going to do, but that doesn't necessitate the idea that it may change once they're up there. Is that, is that correct?
0: Um, yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, Climbing is a good example of this as well because there's this chance to preview the route from, from the ground, um, perhaps rest at certain points in the climb and try to um, prepare how you're going to climb the route. Um, um, but at the same time, climbers will, if they haven't climbed the route before, um, they're for sure they can't fully prepare for how their body is going to be situated when they get to certain points in the route that might be difficult. Um, they they can't exactly see all of the different edges from from the ground, so there are parts that they just cannot um, they cannot predict in advance, and so and and the same in in, in team sports like football. So uh, and actually it's interesting. So a lot of the so you take that task that I talked about before, where we had someone running up and kicking a ball. Um, I think it might have been uh, researchers like the White um, so they started doing work on what they called sub phases of, of play and so um, a sub phase might be a one-on-one situation or in my in my task a, a running up and crossing back to the back into the into the box sort of situation that, that tends to emerge. and I think that um, uh, certainly you can have some general plan and an idea about how you how you might be able to, to, to go about doing that successfully and effectively, um, but at the same time, you want to be able to plan for um, it not going exactly as expected so that you can remain somewhat flexible. And, and I suppose next to that, if, if, if you try to, um, well, my thoughts are that if you try to plan everything, you'll, you'll probably become very predictable. Um, you, you know, and it also perhaps it, at the same time, it also might – one of the problems that, that can come up is that um, it, will, it will sort of shape the attention and, and let's say the intention of your athletes and close them off to things that are happening right in front of their face, you know, because of that, because of that constraint of planning and trying to execute something that, 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 that is done somewhere else. and and may not be particularly exactly appropriate for that particular situation. So uh, there's, there's a balance, you know,
1: well, and no, and I mean, listen, I I know your time is extremely valuable. So I, I, I would like to wrap this up soon for you. So you you could go about teaching your day. Um, But I I, want to say is, is that I've been caught in these discussions at times and I'm, I've been forced to kind of oversimplify some of this and say, Hey, you know, you're, you're looking for players that are flexible and adaptable and they're variable in terms of the way they can kind of, you know, attack problems. They have many different solutions, you know, to a single problem. I mean, if you had to, you know, talk to a coach in, in kind of paraphrase, you know, what you might be wanting to look for when you're looking for athletes, you know, for your particular team, you know, I, I've been presenting this idea that you better understand the problems that you want your athlete to solve before you begin starting to fit the athlete, you know, to the problem, you should be thinking more about your problems that you're asking them to solve rather than just choosing the athlete. But then again, you know, I I'm, I'm open obviously tremendously to debate because it's just, it's just an idea. It's just a different way to flip the script. What would you tell coaches Dominic about, you know, if they were building a team, you know, kind of from the ground up, and they were asking, and they were asking you, you know, Dominic, you know, you're you're you know one of the leaders in this field, and we're talking about looking for skillful players and expert players, you know, what is something that I should really be looking for in my athletes? I as I begin to build my team, what might what might that discussion sound like? Um.
0: Well, I, I the the first thing that I think of. Um, is that you know, I think most most athletes, um, particularly if they they're very driven, um, most individuals if they're, if they're driven and they, they want to be part of you know um, a particular sport and competitive context. Um, most people are capable of, of learning and and being adapt adaptable, you know, um, and certainly it would be nice to to let's say have athletes and choose athletes who are. Able to learn new things and 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 be adaptive. If you know, if if you take it as an assumption that um, your performance context and your competition season, the, the challenges that your athletes going to be facing will be changing and evolving over time, um, then, then then for sure, um, uh, you know, um, having athletes who are driven to 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 learn new things and capable of doing so is is a, is a great thing. Um, but. At the same time, I think that it's interesting. So, um, with 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 coaches and and the context of, of teaching, um, the things that you do during training um, are, are going to influence you your, yourself as well. So, as a coach, the problems that you that you put in front of athletes is going to influence what you what you think is actually good performance, and what you, this and and the Athlete's are going to get, let's say, good at the things that you you get them to practice, and so it's easy to sort of perhaps fall into a trap where you think that you've got great athletes because they can solve all the problems that you put in front of them. Um, so actually, the problems that you put in front of the athletes um, is going to influence what you learn as a coach and the sorts of athletes that you look for. So um, there's a lot of, I think. In part of you know giving advice to coaches, I think there's uh, it's very important also to to look at yourself and what and what you're doing uh, as well as the athlete so um it's quite a complex question to to answer but um that, that the, the coach and the athlete together they're, they're both very important parts of answering a
1: question like that no, and I think that's fantastic i mean I think that sometimes you know, as a coach, I think I fall into this trap early in my own, you know, kind of education where, you know, you you think that, you know, your job is simply, you know, setting up the drill. And, you know, if I taught them in practice, they're going to execute on the field, you know, during game day. And the reality is, is that sometimes that doesn't always happen. And it forced me to start saying to myself, well, what was happening during that, you know, activity during practice that I created and in what way was that, uh, was that representative of the yeah. types of situations they were going to see in the game? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, for it's, it's, it can be challenging because, but but I think if a coach can um, take a step back and give themselves that opportunity to learn as well and under, and, and I suppose appreciate most coaches, I think, would appreciate that they're constantly learning as well. Um, that uh, that's just a, that's a key part of the whole process. Um, so yeah.
1: Well, I mean, Dominic, I, I want to thank you on behalf of myself and everybody out there in the, you know, in the, in basically in the community of evaluators and coaches for really spending this time with us to unpack these, these really complex ideas. And I know we've only really, you know, touched the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, in terms of where we can go in terms of applying these. So a- as a parting shot, if you had to leave any salient points, I mean, we talked about coaching, any, any enduring understandings you'd want you know, our listenership to kind of take away from this discussion as we move forward into this upcoming year and upcoming season? I know one of them you're going to say is don't be afraid to keep learning because that certainly resonated with me. And it's something I'm trying to constantly do. And anything else you might want to share with that community?
0: Uh, Well, first of all, I'm very interested to um, see what uh, what comes up in in the following year. And I'm very curious about the, the different people you'll you'll be meeting and talking to, so I'll keep my ear to the ground. I'm very, I'll um, certainly pay attention. Um, I'm very, very interested to, to hear who else you, you might be having on. Um, uh, but I, I guess a parting shot um, is, is, is yeah, I think that last point that I made where, um, I suppose, just appreciating that you're also part of the system, let's say, if my advice is to a coach or. A, or Um, an evaluator you you're somehow also part of that system and um, you you're not separate to it and so you you also get to influence what what athletes do but they also influence what you do so there's just appreciating the complexity of that and and the the importance of that um is is uh, for for me that's 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 where where i'm sort of
1: going um yeah well i mean he is Dominic Orth. I mean, he is the human movement scientist and motor learning and motor control scientist. He is coming to us all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Dominic, thank you so much. I mean, on behalf of the entire listenership and everybody at the Saturday to Sunday football podcast, thank you for making this possible. Uh, Thank you, Matt.
0: I, uh, I don't, don't certainly don't deserve that much praise, but uh, I appreciate it. And, Uh, thanks. Thanks a lot for for also getting after it.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate it. And I, and I, I completely understand the humility on your part, but I can tell you is again, I remain a a dear fan of your work and it really has influenced me tremendously. And if you have not read any of Dominic's work, I, I think you'd be, it would be remiss for me not to immediately recommend it. It is succinct. It is clear. It is concise and, I took so much from it. It really has changed me in terms of who I am as a coach, who I am even as a teacher in my own classroom, and also as an evaluator. It is absolutely work that you can immediately get into. Dominic, if, if any of our listeners would like to begin to read some of your work or reach out to you and follow some of what's going on in your world, how can they best do that?
0: Um, yeah, I, I suppose um, a good place to go is Google Scholar. Um, so if you look me up in Google Scholar, uh, but that's how I, I would uh, go about finding other, other researchers' work. I would start there. Um, so um, just type my name into uh, Google Scholar and you should be able to find something. But the most recent paper that, that, um, that I think came out was, um, uh, was in um, physical education and, and pedagogy, if I remember correctly. Um, That was a nice paper, so uh, I would start there.
1: Well, again, I I mean, you heard it from him. You can also check him out on Twitter as well. Um, I know his timeline uh, frequently has several interesting things that are posted, and you can find him at Dominic Orth. That's D-O-M-I-N-I-C Orth, O-R-T-H, all one phrase and one handle. That's at Dominic Orth. And again, Google Scholar has a tremendous amount of work available. His stuff is, again, tremendous. I can't recommend it high enough. And to everybody out there that joined us during this episode, thank you so much for your time. And I sincerely hope that this seminar series, that this begins to kind of whet your appetite in terms of where we're trying to go in terms of con- creating our own framework and enriching our own framework for understanding as we begin to watch players, as we begin to think about the next season, as we begin to understand what's happening on the field of play. I hope this conversation and the conversations that follow in this summer seminar series on movement and on the nature of the problems that players face on the field really does bring you closer to the game. So on behalf of myself, Dominic, and everybody at the Summit Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast, thank you for joining us, and please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.